My father's family name being Pirip, and my Christian name Philip, my infant tongue could make of both names nothing longer or more explicit than Pip. So I called myself Pip, and came to be called Pip. My first, most vivid and broad impression of the identity of things seems to have been gained on a memorable raw afternoon towards evening. At such a time, I found out for certain that this bleak place, overgrown with nettles, was the churchyard, and that Philip Pirrip, late of this parish, and also Georgiana, wife of the above, were dead and buried, and that the dark, flat wilderness beyond the churchyard, intersected with dikes and mounds and gates, with scattered cattle feeding on it, was the marshes, and that the low, leaden line beyond was the river, and that the small bundle of shivers growing afraid of it all and beginning to cry was Pip. Hold your noise! Keep still, you little devil, or I'll cut your throat! A fearful man, all in coarse grey with a great iron on his leg. A man who had been soaked in water and smothered in mud and whose teeth chattered in his head as he seized me by the chin. Oh, don't cut my throat, sir. Pray don't do it, sir. Tell us your name. Quick, Pip, sir. Once more, give it me. Pip, Pip, sir. Where's your mother? There, sir. Where? No, there, sir. Also, Georgiana. That's my mother. Oh. And is that your father along here, mother? Yes, sir. Him too. Late of this parish. <laughs> Who do you live with? Suppose a newbie kind of let to live, which I ain't made up my mind about. My sister, sir. Mrs. Joe Gardry, wife of Joe Gardry, the blacksmith, sir. Blacksmith, eh? Now, looky here. You know what a file is? Yes, sir. And you know what whittles is? Yes, sir. You bring me tomorrow morning early that file and them whittles. You do it, and you never dare to say a word or dare to make a sign concerning your having seen such a person as me, and you shall be let live. You fail, and your heart and your liver shall be torn out, roasted, and ate. Now, I ain't alone as you may think I am. There's a young man hid with me, in comparison with which young man, I am a angel. Now, what do you say? Yes, sir. Say, Lord, strike you dead if you don't. Lord, strike me dead if I don't. Now, you remember what you've undertook and you get home. G -g -g Good night, sir. Much of that. I wish I was a frog or an eel. My sister, Mrs. Joe Gargery, with black hair and eyes, had such a prevailing redness of skin that I sometimes used to wonder whether it was possible she washed herself with a nutmeg grater instead of soap. She was more than 20 years older than I and had established a great reputation with herself and the neighbours because she had brought me up by hand. Joe was a fair man with curls of flaxen hair on each side of his smooth face and with eyes of such a very undecided blue that they seemed to have somehow got mixed with their own whites. 
Mrs. Joe has been out a dozen times looking for you, Pip, and she's out now making it a baker's dozen. Is she? Yes, Pip. And what more, Pip? She's got Tickler with her. She sat down and she got up and she made a grab at Tickler and she rampaged out. That's what she did. Tickler was a wax-ended piece of cane worn smooth by collision with my tickled frame. She's coming. Get behind the door, old chap, and have the jack tail betwixt you. Where have you been, you young monkey? I've only been to the churchyard. Churchyard? If it weren't for me, you'd have been to the churchyard long ago and stayed there. Who brought you up by hand? You did. And why did I do it? I should like to know. Churchyard indeed. You'll drive me to the churchyard betwixt you one of these days. And oh, a precious pair you'd be without me. It was Christmas Eve and I had to stir the pudding for the next day with a copper stick from seven to eight by the Dutch clock. Hark, was that great guns, Joe? Ah, there's another con whipped off. What does that mean, Joe? Escaped, escaped. What's a convict? There was a convict off last night, after sunset gun. And now it appears they're firing warning of another. But who's firing? Drat that boy, what a questioner he is. Ask no questions, and you'll be told no lies. Mrs. Joe, I should like to know, if you wouldn't mind much, where the firing comes from. Lord bless the boy! From the Hulks. And please you, what's Hulks? Answer him one question and he'll ask you a dozen directly. Hulks are prison ships, right across the meshes. I wonder who's put into prison ships and why they're put there. People are put in the Hulks because they murder. And because they rob and do all sorts of bad. And they always begin by asking questions. Now get you along to bed. As I went upstairs in the dark, I felt fearfully sensible of the great convenience that the hulks were handy for me. I was clearly on my way there. I had begun by asking questions, and I was going to rob Mrs. Joe. As soon as the great black velvet pall outside my little window was shot with grey, I got up. I stole some bread, some brandy, and a beautiful compact pork pie. I unlocked and unbolted the door to the forge and got a file from among Joe's tools. Then I ran for the misty marshes. It was a rimy morning and very damp. The mist was heavier yet when I got out upon the marshes so that instead of running at everything, everything seemed to run at me. I had just crossed a ditch when I saw the man sitting before me. His back was towards me and was nodding forward, heavy with sleep. Sir? Sir? He instantly jumped up, and it was not the same man, but another man. The young man. He made a hit at me, a weak blow that missed me and almost knocked himself down. And then he ran into the mist. What's in the bottle, boy? Brandy, sir. I think you've got the ague. I'm much of your opinion. It's bad about here. You've been lying out in the meshes and the dreadful ague-ish. I'll eat my breakfast afore they're the death of me. You're not a deceiving imp. You brought no one with you. No, sir, no. Well, I believe you. 
I'm afraid you won't leave any of it for him. Leave any for him? Who's him? The young man that was hit with you. Oh, ah, uh, him, yeah, yes, yes, yeah. He don't want no whittles. I thought he looked as if he did. Looked? When? Just now. Where? Yonder. Over there, where I found him nodding asleep and thought it was you. Dressed like you, you know, only with, with, with a hat and with, with the same reason for wanting to borrow a file. This man, did you notice anything in him? He had a badly bruised face. Where is he? Show me the way he went. I'll pull him down like a bloodhound. Curse this iron on me, sore leg. Give us a hold of the file, boy. We were to have a superb Christmas dinner. And Uncle Pumblechook, Joe's uncle, but Mrs. Joe appropriated him, was to dine with us. Besides, boy, think what you've got to be grateful for. Do you hear that? Be grateful. Why is it that the young are never grateful? Naturally vicious. Especially be grateful, boy, to them which brought you up by hand. Now, to finish, such a delightful and delicious present of Uncle Bumblechook's. It's a pie, a savoury pork pie. Mm. Oh, heavens, it had come at last. You shall have some, Pip. I was lost. Mrs. Joe would find the pie missing. Gracious! Goodness gracious me! What's gone with the pie? I felt that I could bear no more, that I must run away. Here you look, sharp. I had run head foremost into a party of soldiers. Excuse me, I'm on a chase in the name of the king and I want the blacksmith. You see, blacksmith, we've had an accident with some handcuffs and I find the lock of one of them goes wrong. Will you throw your eye over them? Convict, sergeant. Aye, two. They're pretty well known to be out on the marshes still and they won't try to get clear of them before dusk. Anybody here seen anything of such game? No, 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 no. no. Well, blacksmith, if you're ready, his Majesty the King is. Then Joe began to hammer and clink, hammer and clink, and we all looked on. At last, Joe's job was done. As Joe got on his coat, he proposed that we should go down with the soldiers and see what came of the hunt. When we were out upon the dismal wilderness, I considered for the first time with great dread if we should find them would my particular convict suppose that it was I who had brought the soldiers here? I got you! Oh, 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 convicts! Run away! Help! Help! Somebody! Somebody! Here are both men! Surrender you two and confound you two for wild beasts! Come asunder! Mind, I took him. I give him up to you, mind that. It's not much to be particular about. It'll do you small good, my man. I don't expect it to do me any good. I took him. He knows that that's enough for me. Take notice, Gus. He tried to murder me, but bear witness. Look here! Single-handed I got clear of that prison ship. I made a dash and I done it. And I could have got clear of these death-cold flats likewise if I hadn't made discovery that he was here. Let him go free. Let him profit by the means as I found out. Let him make a fool of me afresh and again. No, 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 no. He tried to murder me. I should have been a dead man if you had not come up. He lies! He's a liar born and he'll die a liar. Let him turn his eyes of his on me. I defy him to do it. Do you see him? Do you see what a villain he is? Do you see those grovelling and wandering eyes? That's how he looked when we was tried together. He never dared look at me. You are not much to look at. As one of the soldiers approached with the repaired handcuffs, my convict looked round him for the first time. 
and saw me. I had been waiting for him to see me, that I might try to assure him of my innocence. He gave me a look that I did not understand, and it all passed in a moment. But if he had looked at me for an hour or for a day, I could not have remembered his face ever afterwards as having been more attentive. I would like to say something regarding this escape. It may prevent some persons from laying under suspicion along with me. A man can't starve. At least I can't. I took some whittles up at the village over yonder from the blacksmiths. It was some broken whittles. That's what it was, and, and a dram of liquor and a pie. Have you happened to miss such an article as a pie, blacksmith? So you're the blacksmith, are you? And I'm sorry to say, I've eaten your pie. God knows you're welcome to it, so far as it was ever mine. We don't know what you have done, but we wouldn't have you starved to death for it. Poor miserable creature, would us, Pip? We saw him out into the boat. By the light of the torches, we saw the black hulks lying out a little way from the mud of the shore, like a wicked Noah's Ark. We saw the boat go alongside, and we saw him taken up the side and disappear. Then the ends of the torches were flung hissing into the water and went out, as if it were all over with him. One night, I was sitting in the chimney corner with my slate, expending great effort on the production of a letter to Joe. I think it must have been a full year after our hunt upon the marshes, for it was a long time after, and it was winter and a hard frost. I say, Pip, old chap, what a scholar you are, ain't you? I should like to be. Why, here's a J and an O equal to anything. Here's a J and an O, Pip, and a J, O, Joe! Ah, but read the rest, Joe. The rest, eh, Pip? One, two, three. Why, here's three J's and three O's and three J, O, Joe's in it, Pip! Why didn't you ever go to school, Joe? Well, my father, Pip, he was given a drink. And when he were overtook with drink, he hammered away at my mother and me, most unmerciful. Consequence, my mother and me, we ran away from my father several times, which you see, Pip, were a drawback on my learning. Consequence, my father didn't make objections to my going to work. So I went to work at my present calling, and I got acquainted with your sister. As to you, if you could have been aware how small and flabby you was, dear me, you'd have formed the most contemptible opinions of yourself. Never mind me, Joe. But I did mind you, Pip. When I offered your sister to keep company, I said to her, and bring the poor little child. God bless the poor little child, I said to your sister. There's room for him at the forge. Hey, ever the best of friends and us, Pip. Don't cry, old chap. Now, 
If this boy ain't grateful this night, he never will be. So need to be hoped that he won't be pompied, but I have my fears. She ain't in that line, Mum. She knows better. <laughs> Mrs. Joe and Uncle Pumblejuke burst into the room. She? And she is a she, I suppose. Unless you call Miss Aversham a he. Now, I doubt even you'll go so far as that. <laughs> Miss Aversham uptown? Is there any Miss Aversham downtown? She wants this boy to go and play there. And of course he's going, and he had better play there or I'll work him. Well, to be sure. I wonder how she came to know Pip. No, doll. Who said she knew him? Couldn't she ask Uncle Pumblechook if he knew a boy to go and play there? And couldn't Uncle Pumblechook, being always considerate and thoughtful for us, then mention this boy, standing prancing here that I have forever been a willing slave to? Uncle Pumblechook, being sensible that for anything we can tell, this boy's fortune may be made, and has offered to take him with his own hands to Miss Aversham's. And Laura must see me. Here I stand talking to mere mooncalves and with Uncle Pumblechook waiting, and the boy grind with crock and dirt from the hair of his head to the sole of his foot. Within a quarter of an hour we came to Miss Havisham's house. Satis house was of old brick and dismal, and had a great many iron bars to it. There was a courtyard in front, and that was barred. So we had to wait, after ringing the bell, until someone should come to open it. A young lady came across the courtyard. What name? Pumblechook. Quite right. This is Pip. This is Pip, is it? Come in, Pip. Oh, did you wish to see Miss Havisham? Only if Miss Havisham wanted to see me. Ah, but you see she don't. Oh. My young conductress locked the gate and we went across the courtyard. The cold wind seemed to blow colder there than outside the gate. Don't loiter, boy. We went into the house by a side door and the first thing I noticed was that all the passages were dark. We went through more passages and up a staircase, and still it was all dark. At last we came to the door of a room. Go in. After you, miss. Don't be ridiculous, boy. I'm not going in. The only thing to be done being to knock at the door, I knocked, and was told from within to enter. I found myself in a pretty large room. No glimpse of daylight was to be seen in it. It was a dressing room, as I suppose from the furniture. In an armchair sat the strangest lady I have ever seen, or shall ever see. She was dressed in rich materials, all of white, and she had a long white veil, and even her hair was white. I saw that everything within my view which ought to be white had been white long ago and had lost its luster and was faded and yellow. Who is it? Pip, ma'am. Come nearer. Let me look at you. Come close. It was when I stood before her that I saw that her watch had stopped at twenty minutes to nine, and that a clock in the room had stopped at twenty minutes to nine. Look at me. You are not afraid of a woman who has never seen the sun since you were born. No. Do you know what I touch? Here. Yes, ma'am. What do I touch? Your heart. Broken! I sometimes have sick fancies, and I have a sick fancy that I want to see some play. There! There! Play! 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 
Are you sullen and obstinate? No, ma'am. I am very sorry for you and very sorry I can't play just now, but it's so new here and so strange and so fine and so melancholy. So new to him, so old to me, so strange to him, so familiar to me, so melancholy to both of us. Call Estella! Call Estella at the door! Estella! Estella! Let me see you play cards with this boy. With this boy? Why, he is a common labouring boy. Well, you can break his heart. What do you play, boy? Nothing but beggar my neighbour, miss. Beggar him. It was then I began to understand that everything in the room had stopped, like the watch and the clock, a long time ago. He calls the names Jacks, this boy, and what coarse hands he has, and what thick boots. You say nothing of her. She says many hard things of you, but you say nothing of her. What do you think of her? I don't like to say. Tell me in my ear. I think she is very proud. Anything else? I think she is very pretty. Anything else? I think she is very insulting. Anything else? I think I should like to go home. And never see her again, though she is so pretty. I'm not sure that I shouldn't like to see her again, but I should like to go home now. When shall I have you here again? Let me think. Today is... There! There! I know nothing of days of the week. I know nothing of weeks of the year. Come again after six days. You hear? Yes, ma'am. Estella, take him down. Go pick! I was so humiliated, hurt, spurned, offended, angry, sorry. I cannot hit upon the right name for the smart, God knows what its name was, that tears started to my eyes. At the appointed time, I returned to Miss Havisham's, and my hesitating ring at the gate brought out Estella. You are to come this way today. Well? Well, miss? Am I pretty? Yes, I think you are very pretty. Am I insulting? Not so much so as you were last time. Not so much so? No. <laughs> she slapped my face with such force as she had. Now, you little coarse monster, what do you think of me now? I shall not tell you. Why don't you cry again, you little wretch? Because I'll never cry for you again. We went on our way upstairs, and as we were going up, we met a gentleman groping his way down. Whom have we here? A boy. He was a burly man with an exceedingly large head and a correspondingly large hand. His eyes were disagreeably sharp and suspicious. How do you come here? Miss Havisham sent for me, sir. Well, behave yourself. I have a pretty large experience of boys and you are a bad set of fellows. Now mind, you behave yourself. We were soon in Miss Havisham's room where she and everything else were just as I had left them. Are you ready to play? I don't think I am, ma'am. Since you are unwilling to play, are you willing to work? Yes, ma'am. Then go into that opposite room and wait there till I come. I crossed the staircase landing and entered the room she indicated. From that room, too, the daylight was completely excluded and it had an airless smell that was oppressive. 
The most prominent object was a large table with a tablecloth spread on it, as if a feast had been in preparation when the house and all the clocks all stopped together. A centrepiece of some kind was in the middle of the cloth, and, as I looked along the yellow expanse out of which I remember it seeming to grow, like a black fungus, I saw speckled-legged spiders with blotchy bodies running home to it and running out from it as if some circumstance of greatest public importance had just transpired in the spider community. This is where I will be laid when I am dead. They shall come and look at me here. What do you think that is? That? Where those cobwebs are? I can't guess what it is, ma'am. It's a great cake. A bride cake. Mine. Come, come, come. Walk me, walk me. This is my birthday, Pip. On this day, long before you were born, this heap of decay was brought here. It and I have worn away together. When the ruin is complete, and when they lay me dead, in my bride's dress, on the bride's table, which shall be done, and which will be the finished curse upon him. So much the better if it is done on this day. Let me see you two play cards. Why have you not begun? When we had played some half-dozen games, a day was appointed for my return, and I was taken down into the yard and left to wander about as I liked. Hello, young fellow. Hello. Who let you in? Miss Estella. Who gave you leave to prowl about? Miss Estella. Come and fight. Stop a minute, though. I ought to give you a reason for fighting, too. In a most irritating manner, he pulled my hair, dipped his head and butted it into my stomach. Oh, there it is! Now, laws of the game, regular rules. I judged this pale young gentleman to be about my own age, but he was much taller. My heart failed me when I saw him squaring at me. I never have been so surprised in my life as I was when I let out the first blow and saw him lying on his back, looking at me with a bloody nose and his face exceedingly foreshortened. I am sorry to record that the more I hit him, the harder I hit him. But he came up again and again and again, until at last he got a bad fall with the back of his head against the wall. That means you have won. Oh, can I help you? Uh, no, thank you. Good afternoon. Same to you. When I got into the courtyard, I found Estella waiting with the keys. Come here. You may kiss me if you like. I entered on a regular occupation of walking Miss Havisham round her own room and across the landing and round the other room. It was at once settled that I should return every alternate day at noon for these purposes. We went on in this way for a long time when, one day, Miss Havisham stopped short as she and I were walking. You were growing tall, Pip. Tell me the name again of that blacksmith of yours. Joe Gargery, ma'am. Let him come soon and come alone with you. It was a trial to my feelings to see Joe arraying himself in his Sunday clothes to accompany me to Miss Havisham's. You are the husband of the sister of this boy. Which I mean to say, Pip, as I up and married your sister, and I were at the time what you might call a single man. 
Throughout the interview, Joe persisted in addressing me instead of Miss Havisham. And you have reared the boy with the intention of taking him for your apprentice. Is that so, Mr Gargery? You know, Pip, as you and me were ever friends, and it were looked forward to betwixt us as being calculated to lead to larks. Have you brought his indentures with you? Well, Pip, you know. You yourself see me put them in my hat, and therefore you know as they are here. You expected no premium with the boy. Pip has earned a premium here, and here it is. There are five and twenty guineas in this bag. Give it to your master, Pip. This is very liberal on your part, Pip. And it is as such received and grateful welcome, though never looked for, far nor near nor nowheres. Goodbye, Pip. Let them out, Estella. Am I to come again, Miss Havisham? No. Gargery is your master now. Gargery, one word. The boy has been a good boy here, and that is his reward. Of course, as an honest man, you will expect no other and no more. In another minute, we were outside the gate, and it was locked, and Estella was gone. It is a most miserable thing to feel ashamed of home. Home had never been a very pleasant place to me because of my sister's temper, but Joe had sanctified it. Now it was all coarse and common, and I would not have had Miss Havisham and Estella see it on any account. <sighs> Joe... Don't you think I ought to make Miss Havisham a visit? Well, Pip, what for? What for, Joe? What is any visit made for? There are some visits, perhaps, as forever remains open to the question, Pip. But in regard of visiting Miss Havisham, she might think you wanted something, expected something of her. But, Joe, here I am, getting on in the first year of my time, and since the day of my being bound, I have never thanked Miss Havisham, or asked after her, or shown that I remember her. That's true, Pip. What I wanted to say was, if you would give me half a holiday tomorrow, I think I would go uptown and make a call on Miss Esther de Havisham. Which her name ain't Miss Esther de Havisham, Pip, unless she have been rechristened. I know, Joe, I know. It was a slip of mine. What do you think of it, Joe? With what absurd emotions I found myself again going to Miss Havisham's matters little here. Everything was unchanged, and Miss Havisham was alone. Well, I hope you want nothing. You'll get nothing. No, indeed, Miss Havisham. I only wanted to let you know that I'm doing very well in my apprenticeship and I'm always much obliged to you. There, there. Come now and then. Come on your birthday. Aye, you are looking round for Estella. Abroad. Educating for a lady. Far out of reach. Prettier than ever. Admired by all who see her, do you feel that you have lost her? <laughs> when I arrived back at our kitchen, I found it was full of people. And there was a surgeon, and there was Joe, on the floor, in the midst of the kitchen. They drew back when they saw me, and so I became aware of my sister lying without sense or movement, where she had been knocked down by a tremendous blow on the back of the head, dealt with some unknown hand. Nothing had been taken away from any part of the house, but 
there was one remarkable piece of evidence. She had been struck with something blunt and heavy. And on the ground beside her was a convict's leg iron which had been filed asunder. Great Expectations was written by Charles Dickens. This production was adapted by Marcus Baisley and narrated by Jeremy Drakes. It featured Christopher Anderton as Joe, Wemmick and Drummle, Marcus Baisley as Compasson, Porter and Galley, Jessica Bryan as Miss Havisham, Victoria Hamblin as Estella and Mrs Joe, William Hollyhead as Herbert Pocket, Dylan Lincoln as Magwitch and Pumplechook, Rosie Marsh as Biddy, Alexander Pankhurst as Sergeant and Jaggers, and Rupert Sadler as Pip. The title music is Moonlight Hall by Kevin MacLeod at Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons. Recorded, designed and edited by Andrew Crane, Great Expectations was produced by Helen Johnson in association with Blackshaw Theatre Company and Cyphers Theatre Company. Life's a game, the world's a stage, and we are all merely role players. Join members of Blackshaw Theatre Company as they try on all the many roles there are to play. You are Blackshaw Theatre, nobody else knows. You're also investigators of inexplicable happenings, <laughs> deputies of federal law enforcement, master thieves and con artists. Hooray! <laughs> merely role players, where theatrical people play role-playing games. New episodes every week, new stories and new genres every season. Just search for Merely Role Players wherever you find podcasts.